Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Rebel Stomach with you and Dylan Broda, my co-host on Shooting the at this week, and we are going to be talking NXT Takeover Toronto. Dylan, have you seen the show? You know, I've been at this Flow Festival for hours upon hours this since uh, when was it? Uh, I guess I started working here on Thursday, and the days have been literally seventeen to eighteen hours long, from like early dawn to like in the dawn of the next day kind of thing. So Jumping. I had to watch <laughs> yeah, all the the wonderful, uh, interesting music of flow anyway. Some good, some horrible, but that's that's what entertainment is like. Uh, I can't please everybody. But um, yeah, I saw at least the uh, highlights and, and read about it because uh, on the way uh, home on the uh, on the metro there last night, um, but, uh, or in the morning actually, but, um, yeah, I heard some good things. I heard some bad things and I heard that, I guess it wasn't the best NXT takeover ever, which is too bad from my hometown of Toronto. And, uh, but you know, I guess, uh, you, you can't win them all as they say. No, no. And the thing is that like some nights you're going to have off nights and I'll tell you what else was off was the WWE Network, the audio-video sync is completely off. And I saw some other messages on Twitter uh, this morning because I actually sent a tweet out asking other people, like, is, is anybody else having problems? And it seems like some people can't even log on to the network. And, wow. and uh, Yeah, and then there's the, the, the sound and the video is off uh, also for other people. So uh, this was really weird watching for three hours. This was a three-hour takeover, by the way. And it yeah. was weird watching it uh, with like out of sync sound because the thing is oh, that yeah, that, the bumps, that's really hard to watch. Yeah, all the bumps and all the calls from the commentators are, of course, then a few seconds delayed, and and it's just there's just you know what I'll say one thing you can see the holes in the actual presentation a lot better when it's out of sync. I hate yeah. to say, it, but it's like I realize it now. You can see like timing holes or you can see like certain things that, that become a bit too obvious, especially what either if the sound is off or it's out of sync. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I, I don't think I can, there's been a few times when I've, I've watched some, uh, live stream or was it a like recorded live or, or something like that, or, or say the internet connection gets a little bit bogged down and, you know, it's like half a second later you hear the bump or, you know, and I can't watch it. I gotta like <laughs> go back to it later or find another find another way to watch it because it's it just drives me nuts. You know, it doesn't have it's like the impact level of everything just like drops like insane amount. So that's too bad that you had to had to go through it that way. Yeah, but it is what it is. I mean, the thing is that you get more of a critical eye. I guess it's just like a critical eye with uh, with an with a, let's say. Uh, a common, not not common denominator, but what am I looking for? The word, the uh, exponential factor involved. Yeah. So, yeah, well, it is, like I said, it is what it is. It wasn't one of the best takeovers so far, to be honest with you. It was somewhere uh, mid, I would say in the middle, maybe a bit. Yeah. Um, the thing is that, I got to say this, 
Kyle O'Reilly, Bobby Fish, the first match out against the street, uh, the, the street profits. And yep. it, they usually send the tag match out first. And it's usually like more often than not in the last, let's say two years, it's been the undisputed era. First match out. Yep. There's a reason for that. It's because the first match, the curtain jerker, the opening match has to be good. It has mm -hmm. to be something you can count on. You know it's going to take you to the bank. You know the people are going to get lit up, and they're going to get hot for the rest of the show. And That's it's, it. And that, it's so important. There's so few people in the wrestling business who understand the importance of being the curtain jerker. It's not a throwaway match. It's not the least important match on the card. It's That's the second most important match in, in addition to the main event. Yeah, it is that, uh, like we talked about before, like the set list, you yeah. know, That's you got to start, start off with a bang mm -hmm. and then you got to end, end with a, an explosion as well. So, I mean, of course you got to have your peaks and valleys or whatever. I know that there are different takes to, to booking, like with new Japan, I know that they have this like uh, crescendo style, even though they're like, <clears throat> I guess they're you know, opening matches are in these contests are more very storytelling matches, trying to set up feuds and maybe add a legend or, or something like that. Yeah. Um, but then when you get to the main card, that's when I guess it's this kind of bang match and then your slow burn match and, or, or however it goes. And, you know, but, uh, and usually the main event is like, is the main event, you know, but, yeah. um, but I, I think the North American style probably the rest of the world style that's been used to and understands this way of booking, whether they, whether they understand that they understand or not, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, a uh, it's, uh, come out strong and end and strong for sure. Well, that's it. Yeah. This match, I mean, I'm sorry, this event, five matches as per usual per takeover. Yeah. Uh, with an additional segment that they teased right after the opener with, um, <laughs> The King of Bros coming out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, anyway, the thing is that they brought back uh, Killian Dane. You know, right, was, right. He was on the main roster for just a bit on SmackDown, I guess, with Sanity. And and then they brought him back because the thing is that uh, they couldn't figure out what to do with him. There's too many people on the roster. That's really what yeah. it is. But, sorry, it was after the second match, not after the first. Anyway, so Matt Riddle... Comes out, bro, 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 no, 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 you know, out of the crowd. He walks up, and uh, then he gets on Killian Dane's case because on NXT television, they had this uh, this non-match just basically broke down before it even began. And the right. same thing happened now. Anyway, so they're building towards something more with these two guys, Killian Dane and Matt Riddle now. But that's it. Anyway, let's get uh, on to the, the five matches on this. Yeah. So, first, uh, the opening match, the Street Profits against Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish, NXT Tag Team Championship. So, the Profits are the champions, heading in. And uh, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I've seen better matches from both teams. Now, this was not a bad match. That's, that's not to say it was a bad match. But it yeah. wasn't a blow away. It wasn't quite, and maybe it's because the sound was out of sync with, with the video. I don't know. But it wasn't like let's say on the level of Oni Larkin and uh, what's his tag team partner there? Jeez, um, uh, <laughs> I'm looking for the name. I'm brain farting now. Anyway, yeah, you know, yeah. The, so uh, the two bald headed guys. I, uh, yeah, I can see the the face here, but uh, my brain yeah. is melted. But yeah, 
Yeah, my, my, my brain's melted too. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so these two guys, anyway, I mean, they had a better match on on one of the other takeovers against uh, Undisputed and and also uh, Mustache Mountain against Undisputed there. Oh, yeah, right. They, they, they were better matches overall than this match was. Now, of course, every match is going to be different because there's a different, how could you say, chemistry because of the pairs involved. So that's fine. But I was expecting a little bit more from this match uh, going into it. It didn't quite disappoint, but it wasn't quite up to par as far as what you would expect on pay-per-view. Right. The What I heard about it, anyway, in, in the few uh, articles I read, um, they basically said the same thing, that um, it was a really good match, uh, basically on any other show. Yeah. Uh, if it was on Raw, it would have been match of the year kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but um, they said it, it was... It kind of we we've been like taught what the first match of a takeover is going to be, yeah. and this uh, was not exactly the same. And it's it burned slow at the beginning, and <clears throat> maybe it it wasn't as uh, it didn't have the pizzazz or whatever you want to say that uh, uh, that they usually do uh, from the get go. I, th- I guess it ended pretty strong. Um, but it, it took a little bit of time to get there. So maybe, maybe those guys are, maybe the, it's that chemistry or maybe they just wanted to do a different match and, you know, um, but, uh, so, sounds like, uh, it, across the board anyway, everybody felt the same way. So, well, there you go. So it wasn't just me. That's good. Yeah. Anyway, but so at the end, street profits retaining, it's funny cause they had this story or they were teasing the story of going into this entire event that undisputed era. We're going to be uh, cleaning house and taking all the championships. Oh, uh, yeah. And they were pushing that idea very hard. It just didn't come to happen. Uh, anyway, so Street Profits winning 60 minutes, 55 seconds, and uh, Montez Ford hitting the frog splash on Kyle O'Reilly for the win at the end. And uh, All right. Yeah, he has quite a frog splash, too, by the way. He's a hell of an athlete, by the way. Yeah. I got to say, I mean, this Montez, he really is. He's He's... He's super athletic. He's got great pounce. I mean, he's like a basketball player as far as his like his jump. I mean, he's he's like he's got springs on the bottoms of his feet. There you go. Yeah, yeah. But he's he's pretty what? he's pretty he's pretty impressive. What did we have next then coming after that? Was it uh, Candice LeRae against Io? Yeah, Shirai. that's right. Yeah, so Io Shirai now being uh, turned heel and um, having a darker presentation to her. I'm not sure if I like it more yet. Mm-hmm. I think it's still growing on me. Um, I think that there's they're trying to find something to do with with EO now. I mean, the thing is that that uh, with Shayna Baszler being a women's champion, um, you got to have babyface challengers for that title. And they they the last program was against EO. Yeah. So she came up short, and I think those matches. I think they were just a tad short too. Also on on delivering the blow away kind of like presentation that you'd expect uh, mm. from a woman's high profile. I mean, it was close. It was really really close, but really not no no cigar. Um, yeah, yeah. It was much better than let's say. Um, well, <laughs> we'll get to it, but it yeah, me. later on in the night anyway. Yeah, Yim against the. Oh geez, yeah, this was bad. Shane and Mia Yim. Oh, it was bad, bad, all around bad. But anyway, so Yoshirai. 
Now turning heel. Um, Candace, do you think she's tur- kind of turning heel, or do you think this is like, you know, one of those like stone cold heels where she's just no. like had enough and and just going wild? No, I th- I think I think she's. They're trying to at least they're trying to turn her heel. Um, yeah. And the thing is that Candace, for whatever reason, I I feel that Candace has like for her entire NXT tenure has been lagging a bit in presentation. Now I'm gonna be I'm gonna go on, out on a limb right now and just say that were it not that she was the wife of Johnny Gargano, I'm not quite sure that she would have the appeal or star power or let's say the she would not be cast in the same light as mm. she has been cast up until now. I, yeah. I honestly <coughs> I honestly feel that. Um now that said I think that uh, Candace is a lot better than Mia Yim. Uh, yeah. So they're not on the same level. But uh, Candace, she there's something about her that I don't know. It's it's just I think she's still like searching for who she is as a wrestler. Uh, I I don't mean now as far as the character. I mean the in ring skills. I, I think that. Uh, transitions, I think that, let's say, move sets, I think that uh, overall, let's say, even to a certain degree, like full commitment uh, to to execution on certain things, um, I think that she's still a little bit wary. Yeah. And, and as soon as she finds that, I think that she'll be okay. But a work in progress, in my opinion. In this match, Io Shirai taking the Duke, which I think was the right thing. Uh, and it was, this was like a, a no-holds-barred type of thing, or a grudge match, I guess you'd call it. Um, and a really weird finish. Uh, like, right. this was yeah. not typical. It's like a Koji clutch. Yeah, I heard there's some new submission hold that like was some odd... Uh you know, Zack Sabre Jr. octopus hold kind of weird thing going on there with a choke or something. Well, it was a head scissor, but it didn't look all that bad like when Candice was in it, but it was right at the pivotal moment of the match, right at the end, right? You couldn't get no higher. And anyway, so Candice taps, fades, whatever you want to consider it. Well, I guess just faded, lost consciousness or lost, lost her gust for uh, competition and, uh, would no longer raise her arm. So, yeah. uh, 15 minutes, two seconds. This match, kind of like, when I watched it, it kind of like stopped and started, like they, because of the nature of the match being like no holds barred. Well, I, I'm not saying it was no holds barred, but it was a grudge match. So, yeah. because of its nature, it kind of like, you hit like a move, and then you'd like stall. Ah, uh, yeah. A sequence, hit a move, and then you'd stall again. So there were a lot of these stalling sequences. And um, I think for like a no-holds-barred kind of environment, I think they did too much of that. Yeah. Because Maybe think, cut it down to 10 minutes or something. and Yeah, and, and the thing is, I think that it kind of like killed the flow. I think you, know, you were just mm. at the flow festival. And I think yeah. it killed the flow and killed the heat. That I think they could have had more heat had they gone a bit more intense and, and just put the pedal to the metal. Uh, yeah. At least, like, once you get the flow going and once you get into that mid-portion of the match, 
then you just got to keep it going. And I think yeah. they didn't quite do that. There were too many, like, just stalling moments. Anyway, but not a bad match. It wasn't bad. I think it was one of the better matches I've seen so far from Candice LeRae. Mm. Well, there you go. I mean, I, I heard I heard some quite, like, good things. And, uh, I mean, I again, a lot of people were saying that um, every match, for the most part, uh, was was a really good match. But then we're expecting from uh, takeovers to be, like, you know, every match to be like very much match of the year contender kind of things. Yeah. And I guess to hold that standard for such a long time, it's yeah. quite difficult. Um, you know, so if you go through a show and you only have a good to great show, you know, it, it's one of these things where all of a sudden when you have excellent show, excellent show, excellent show, then good to great show people all, like kind of go, yeah, it wasn't that good, you know, because right. you have this ex expectation of excellence. And, yeah. uh, I mean, I guess, uh, like any, any, uh, any professional wrestler knows, I'm sure, you know, with, with you and your 25 years to, to have an excellent match every single night, it can't be for, I think it's impossible and yeah, it's you for sure. You just can't. You know, do. not easy. Yeah. No. So, but um, then again, uh, I guess it moves moves things forward and whatnot. So that's that's the point. Um, and it's not then clear. We, yeah, it's not. Yeah. I just got to interject for a second. It's not clear where they, where they're taking Io Shirai right now, but mm. they, I think they're onto something if they keep the momentum going. Because the thing is that. Uh, the one thing that I noticed that she did more of in this match as compared to her prior matches on NXT is that her expressions uh, were yeah. much more vivid here, especially right. like false finishes. So she had all those facial facial expressions worked out and really intense kind of look yeah. to herself. Yeah. yeah, that's that's something I think uh, we talked about it before as well that I think people don't uh, wrestlers, especially uh, younger ones, anyway, uh, they don't realize that the facial expression is like so key. Like, oh yeah, I think almost much more like that is the selling. And uh, but yeah, I'm I, I'm always uh, I'm always looking for those facial expressions. So you know that's that's great that that she's showing like intense intensity that way. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. In Mexico, it's so much more difficult to oh, yeah. over as a, as a technical, so as a babyface, because if you're under a mask, the only thing you can do, especially if your mouth is covered and your eyes are covered, but especially the mouth, uh, is you can only sell with your body language. Mm. And that's a hell of a crash course. I think that like if you made young talents wrestle in a mask, like a fully covered face mask, um it would actually teach them to utilize their body language in a way that would be more beneficial for their careers. And then yeah. after, let's say, you know, either in training or then like, let's say after their first year or whatever, take that mask off and then just see if they can, if they can make those facial expressions go the mile too. There you go. That's a really good idea. Actually. I, I didn't even think about it that way that you could learn from, from using the mask. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that that's quite an interesting idea. 
But then we had the the bro come out through that whole segment, which I kind of felt was a little bit like early 2000s Attitude Era WWE kind of thing, but uh, at least from how it looked on uh, the reviews and things. But uh, I don't know, did it come across as... Like, you know, you had the, the team of security guards who were obviously all like wrestlers in training, taking all the bumps and things. Yeah. It just remind, reminded me of like... Uh, you know, when Stone Cold or whatever gets out of hand back in the day and then he just stuns everybody, you know. Uh, and the security guards are just the worst at breaking up a fight somehow. But, um, I mean, uh, how did it feel, like, watching it? Was it something that uh, translated well? Did it, did it like, because, uh, you know, they took the bump off the stage, right, through a table or something? And uh, I don't know, it... Like, to me, that's a little bit... doesn't feel like NXT, anyway, in, in my mind. But uh, I had heard a rumor that um, uh, Vince McMahon is wanting to get a little piece of, uh, I guess, his uh, ideas into into NXT at the moment. But uh, that might just be, like, just total rumor bullshit at stuff. But... Uh, but things like this, and uh, there was one thing in the main event that I guess we'll get to later that reminded me of this. I guess it didn't feel like NXT, or, or at least from when I when I read about it. But I, I wanted to get your take on on how it actually felt. Uh-huh. Was was you know this kind of segment? Was it? Did it still feel like we were in the NXT universe, or have we, you know, started to get a little bit of the sports entertainment too much in there? Well, I think that the thing is that all of these types of things like elements that we see, even on this show here with the brawl, also even with that uh, that final match with Gargano and and uh, Bay Bay, I, I think yeah. the thing is that there's a formula. There's a formula now. And it's like every single pay-per-view, they break a table. You know, and the thing is, it becomes redundant because it becomes predictable. And then it's like every time they break out a chair, you know, somebody's going to get hit in the back because it's the only place you can really hit anybody anymore. And it, and it becomes predictable. And that said, I think that like for pro wrestling, I think Jim Ross had a really good point about this. And he said that, um, that what they need to do is they need to break away from like this predictability. And it's almost like insulting your audience because the thing is that, Ah, okay, he's going to do this, this, and this. It's like you can call it before it happens. Yeah. It's like, you know, the routine. It's like that John Sh- John Cena routine where, you know, he sets up his comeback and he does those two shoulder tackles. The guy goes for the swing. He picks him up in that belly to back, drops him, and then uh, does that five-knuckle shuffle. From there, the guy feeds up right into the attitude adjustment or the, the fireman's carry slam. I mean, the thing is that, it, you know, you've seen it so many times, and it's like, you know exactly, just like I called it now, you know what's yeah. going to happen. And if you know, it takes away the element of surprise. It takes the element, the, the element of, how did you say, unpredictability. Um, mm-hmm. and, and really, you run the risk, even though you might be popping the crowd because they know this move or they know, they know the move set, let's say. But after that audience has been like oversaturated, not just educated, but oversaturated, they know every single pay-per-view ah, is what's going to happen. It's going to be the yep. same thing over and over and over and over again. 
And like it's like casting two guys as best friends. You know what? Before long, they're gonna break up, have a bitter feud, and that's like it happens again. How many best friends can you have? That's it. You know what I mean? So in this way, that formula, that WWE modern day templates or that, you know, like that blueprint formula has been copy pasted and plastered onto every single pay-per-view out there. And that's detrimental. And it shows like mm-hmm. even this product, because I'll be honest, I didn't feel the heat of this impromptu brawl with Matt Riddle and Killian Day. Maybe the issue hasn't been established well enough or whatever, but the thing is, by the same token, we've seen the same blueprint and template uh, often enough where a guy just attacks another guy for like no seeming reason whatsoever. All of a sudden, they have uh, a grudge going on, and that yeah. translates into a series of matches. So that's like I just didn't feel it. I mean, I'm sorry. I've seen I've seen way too many of these similar kinds of like impromptu brawls and spots and there was nothing there that really drew me into it so that's yeah. all i can say yeah yeah i hear you well um i guess uh, let's get on to the the rest of the card after we get that wonderful word from our sponsors and we're gonna talk more nxt takeover tarana when we come back hey there my name is michael much alive better known in the pro wrestling world as the Rebel Starbuck. I've decided to launch a brand new live action entertainment venture called Slam Wrestling Finland, which is an on-demand service offering the best top-of-the-line professional wrestlers out of Europe today. We can custom tailor the entire show from start to finish. Girls matches, triple threat matches, tag team matches, or then the good old one-on-one damn good wrestling If you've got something in mind, we'll find the right guy or girl for the job. Slam Wrestling Finland is an on-demand live service that offers you, as the customer, the opportunity to choose as many matches as you would like. Contact us today at slamrest.fi or slamsports.eu. Red Skull Hot Sauce. Fiery sauce focused on flavor. Made by a Canadian in Helsinki. Awesome sauce in a sweet-ass skull bottle. That's Red Skull Hot Sauce. R-E-D-D Skull Hot Sauce. On Facebook and Instagram. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back shooting the shiz at Dylan Broda here at the Flow Festival in Helsinki, the Suvilofte area. It's pumping with lots of bass floating through the air. I don't know if anybody could hear that. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting festival, that's for sure. And talking today, as always, with the Rebel Starbuck about NXT TakeOver Tirana. And, Tirana. Uh, did we, yeah, where did we leave off here? We got the, was it the uh, North American Championship uh, no. match? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Velveteen versus Pete Dunne versus Roderick Strong. So recapping the events of this weekend going on here as we're recording this on a Sunday. This is SummerSlam day, by the way. So today yep. is SummerSlam 2009. See, we can recap that card real quick if we have the time towards the sure. end here. So we'll just run through this. So NXT take over Toronto, and we're both Ontario boys. So let's get on with it. Yeah, uh, the Velveteen Dream, the champion, challengers Pete Dunn and 
Roderick Strong. Well, it was going to be originally Roderick Strong and Velveteen, but then Pete Dunn was added to the mix. And um, I'm not sure if that was a good idea or not, but uh, these three ways are a tough bind anyway. They're, they're a tough match to get through because it's there's a formula to, like, to the three-way also, but like you want to mix it up every once in a while to make it a bit more compelling and a bit more, how could you say, unpredictable. But it's a yeah. real challenge because people have kind of like seen everything already. So um, once again, I think that, uh, well, okay, here we got two baby faces and then a heel. So Roderick Strong, the heel, the other two guys, the faces. Maybe a bit of a challenging way to go into it. I'm not quite sure with these components, these three guys. Uh, I think that uh, maybe the reintroduction of Pete Dunn, uh, he can kind of play tweener in a way. But uh, yeah. this one here, I, I kind of felt that something was a, was missing once again. It, I, I don't want to nitpick, but it's just I'm just stating the obvious that I saw in my own eyes uh, or with my own eyes that, that, that there was something, I'm not quite sure, like something just didn't click right on 10 with this match either it wasn't a bad match though it was it was decent enough but velveteen man i gotta tell you he's gotta like get his elbow drop down because he's got this thing where he's lanky anyway he's tall and lanky and his finisher is that top rope elbow drop kind of like macho man style the thing is that a lot of times he extends his hand on the way like down when he when he comes down and uh it's like I'm looking at it saying, where's the impact? So he comes down yeah. next to the guy, but it's it's kind of like, well, aren't you supposed to land with the elbow or at least the, the uh, at least the part of your, uh, your lats or then even your, your um, tricep on the guy. You know what I mean? So it's like I the do. meaty part of your tricep, boom. But it's like when you extend that arm and your hand comes down next to the guy's shoulders, all of a sudden, well, what were you landing with? Yeah, I hear you. And, yeah, and and that's the thing here that that really bothers me with some of Velotines. Not all, to, not all the time, but so, but but much of the time, maybe half the time, he does these like half-assed elbow drops, and and especially as a finish. <sighs> well, yeah, but so otherwise, not bad, not bad. I really feel sorry for Roderick Strong in a way because it's like if you think of his upward momentum, you think about like. Well, it's he's got everything except the promo skills. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I totally know what you mean. I think that he should should be on top, on top that's for sure, but uh plus he's been a, he's paid his dues time and time again and um I think if anybody deserves that kind of uh, big top push especially in NXT right now, I think he's the guy. Uh, yeah. maybe they're just teasing it for a while and then when he gets payoff, but I don't know, I it, to me, it, it seems as though they they really love uh, the charisma of Velveteen Dream and how he's super young and you know yeah. he's, he's got quite the you know the he's got the look he's got the uh, athleticism he's got the charisma so you know he, those those things that come over time with experience I guess then uh, uh, maybe they're just banking everything on him and then. Roderick Strong's kind of the enhancement guy or something to make everybody look good, you know, because they know they put you in a match with Roderick Strong, he'll make you look good. Um, But uh, about like that elbow drop thing, I I totally agree with you, especially with 
a lot of guys doing these elbow drops today. And I read this uh, really great uh, comment. Uh, they were talking about the most devastating uh, moves in professional wrestling. And I think the number one, it was just some little like uh, conversation thing. And people were saying um, that the number one most devastating move for them uh, was, uh, funny enough, was Bret Hart's second rope, uh, like, you know, elbow drop to the, you know, he goes down to the knees. You do the same the, thing, I think. Yeah, yeah, the elbow drive. Yeah, off the side. Yeah, the elbow. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and you do it. You do it the Bret Hart style. And uh, yeah, that's where right, they yeah. were saying when you really look at it, the the impact from that second rope is pr- quite a minor move if you just kind of pass it by. But how he like uh, kind of drives that elbow and then like lets it kind of like scrape off the guy's forehead or whatever to the mat, you know, as if it looks like he just like literally just squished the guy's head down. And well, actually uh, it comes down on the chest. It, it's, it's like in right. the upper chest or like, let's say worst case scenario, the throat. Right. Right. But it, it kind of like, kind of like slides uh, at least uh, in, you know, when I used to watch, watch Bret Hart do it as well. Like, uh, and I, I'm pretty sure you do the same kind of idea where it's just kind of like slides off down to the, to the mat anyway and just well in either way the whole idea is that it really actually looks like all of that pressure is just focused right on the uh right where it's supposed to go uh-huh. so you know and then when you come off the top rope with like a flying elbow drop and it just looks like you landed on your hips and barely touched the guy or whatever it's yeah. really hard to to kind of sell that as a as a big finish you know but yeah, uh, ju- just to justify it yeah, I guess the whole idea is that, oh, he went so high up in the air. But, yeah. uh, you know, the actual impact of, of everything is almost like uh, an afterthought. But uh, but either way, yeah, I mean, uh, what did you think about the entrance for Velveteen Dream with this Mountie get-up and the, I guess it was the Toronto Raptors cheerleaders I, I was reading about. Seemed well, like know, it got I, a big, I, big pop. I had to save time. I had to save time because the thing is that I got up at 8 o'clock this morning I, I'd been working this past weekend in Kovolas. It's another city here in Finland anyway. So I got home last night and, and uh, I really had to sleep. I didn't stay up for it, right? So I just watched it in the morning. And then I realized that takeovers are usually two hours. Well, then I, as soon as I saw the feed and I saw the timeline, it's a three-hour show. So it was yeah. 8 o'clock and I put it on and it's a three-hour show. And then that player, the, the WWE's, network player ain't working right so then it's like i'm having troubles with the player and it's uh anyway so i i skipped a lot of the intros i just got onto the matches and that's it yeah well that's the meat and potatoes anyway but uh there's a lot of i guess a lot of people were digging his uh, uh his entrance there because it was super flamboyant with the dress. i think he went down with the the old uh mounties music you know, so I don't oh, know. Jacques Rougeau? Yeah, exactly. Oh, so, really? Uh, I guess, you know, they're taking advantage of being in Canada for some reason. With that, of course. Uh, I want, yeah. yeah, I wonder who in the crowd actually <laughs> realized whose music that was, but um, I haven't heard it in quite a long time. But, um, but yeah, and they had the Toronto Raptors cheerleader, so I guess they, they got a big pop and some extravagant stuff that WWE loves to do so, and I, I think it fit at least his uh, his character because the other two guys, they you know they're not extravagant dudes in that way, so they just you know came out 
badass like you know you would uh but gave the gave the big you know entrance to the to the champion with his uh very i guess flamboyant gimmick so uh but anyway it, it seemed to be something that uh, worked well to establish you know the whole setting and everything like that so so there you go yeah well the thing is that uh, for 17 minutes and 27 seconds you know, it, 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 it had its moments. It had its yeah. moments, this match. Um, and in the end, I mean, it was one of them steal the victory kind of things where where uh, Rod, Roderick Strong hits Pete Dunne with this, uh, this I, I don't know what he calls it, actually. But it's basically he throws the guy up into the air and uh, then uh, brings him down on his knees. So it's one of these backbreaker variations. It's, it's his finishing move. Anyway, I, I don't know. Yeah, what the yeah. name is. And it was like the, the like torture rack to this, like dropping like backbreaker lung blower kind of thing. I, I, it was more like a lung blower type of thing. I don't think it was from the torture rack though. I, if I remember oh, yeah. correctly, I think it was actually from, uh, was it a double underhook or something? But anyway, oh, yeah. The, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Point being that, um, so they did the move and boom, he goes for the cover. Roderick goes for the cover, and then all of a sudden, Velveteen off the top rope. On the first shot, the 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 cameraman, or at least the uh, the director, missed it, so he missed the call and didn't. All you saw was basically a you know a break of the pin with uh, Velveteen coming down on top of Roderick Strong and and uh, well both guys basically then and and on the replay it showed it was top rope elbow elbow drop. So, boom. Rolling Roderick Strong out of the way, out of the pin, then therefore Velveteen pinning Pete Dunn one, two, three, and there you go. So retaining the North American Championship, Velveteen right. Dream. Then we get on to this uh, the worst match that I've seen in a long time on a takeover. And I tell you what, this just sucked ass. I mean, it, it, it really, wow. I mean, you can, you can make a case argument. Uh, and some people have that uh, Mia Yim, you know, she was playing, you know, the Shayna Baszler's dirty game or whatever. And and this was like a psychological match. So, like, you know, she was trying to outsmart her with like dirty, small little, you know, tactics and whatnot. But I'll tell you what. I mean, having a trained eye, being a wrestler myself and watching this match. Mia Yim is just overrated. She doesn't have it. She doesn't have it to begin with. Uh, she doesn't commit fully to her moves. There's something about her that reminds me of something that, I mean, I've, I've trained a lot of girls in my time yeah. since 2003. And, and before these girls really, like, how could you say, lose the fear, uh, like for lack of a better term, where they just, you know, commit to moves and commit to throwing their body and commit to, to like taking the big bumps. Until yeah. they get to that point, it's almost like there's they, like they got lead in their back pockets, and it's like you know they're they're taking very low types of bumps and very how could you say lackadaisical and half-hearted um, falls, and, and and even the moves they're 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 committing very half-heartedly because they're they're afraid, uh, and I get that same feeling from watching Mia Yim, and I don't understand why she's on the NXT roster. Um, because I don't think that she has consistently put out one single good match from top to bottom, from start to finish, since she's been on TV. Yeah. 
Well, there you and, go. And, I mean, and, and, yeah, I, I haven't seen much either, actually. Yeah, I mean, and, and the thing is, I know I'm sounding brutal. I, I'm being very unforgiving in my analysis here, but I'm just calling what I see. And the thing is that, I mean, they got good girls. They really do. You know, Io Shirai, she's a great talent, right? I mean, yep. Shayna Baszler, for, for what she does, she's a tremendous talent. Uh, people like this, but Mia Yim, just, I mean, honestly, I don't get it. I wouldn't hire her for my team if I had these other girls that, that they got on their roster. Even Bianca Belair is better than her. Yeah, well. And, and Bianca's still really, a, a, you know, she's she's a, a work in progress. Yeah, I guess like the, the, the big deal that usually for some reason uh, seems to be in, in WWE, you have like this strange mix of like, uh, extremely talented uh, people, whether it be women or men. But then, for some reason, you have the absolute stinkers, and you always wonder, like, how did they get there? Because this is supposed to be the cream of the crop, and uh, this is supposed to be the major leagues. So yeah, you yeah. got somebody who is in a title match who is not playing at major league level, you know. Nope. No, then, no, no. Uh, how, what happened there? And uh, so it's just a, because, you know, we, uh, like uh, for, for Slam, you've mm -hmm. had um, like top women's wrestling uh, from all, ar all around the globe. And, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, where are these, I mean, these chicks, I guess, are going to AEW and, and, and wherever else, you know. Yeah. But it's like on the independent scene, let's say, you, you know, everybody calls this the minor leagues. And then here you have like far better wrestlers, far better at like, I guess, um, uh, well, just at the craft, you know? And, yeah. Well, the uh, thing is, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, the thing is that so many times wrestling is political and, yeah. and the reason why people get hired or they don't get hired or they get let go or whatever, or they get buried or they get pushed is for political reasons that maybe none of the fans will ever understand because they're all behind the scenes. They're things that are kept under wraps. Yeah. And I think that I kind of feel like there's got to be something there. I mean, in a way I listened, you know what, at the end of this match, I listened to the commentators and there's a way to close a story or close a chapter before you go to the next segment of the show. And I forget who, which one of the commentators it was, but I, I think it was Nigel McGuinness, but I listened and, and it was like, he basically, I think he got a command from the headset that he was wearing. And, and I think that he basically put the nail in the coffin on Mia Yim after this match. I kind of got that feeling. I could be wrong, but if you listen to those commentators right before, uh, you know, the, the next segment after they show the replay of the finish, listen to the last few words and the last couple of lines that Nigel McGuinness or, or one of the commentators, whoever like closed that segment actually lets out of their mouths mm. and think, think of what he's saying, like the gravity or then like at least the intonation of what he's saying. And I got this feeling like, Whoever the director or whoever it was a Triple H watching backstage, whoever they realized this was a stinker, and and yeah. they knew 
whose fault it was. That's the whole thing. It's like a trained eye, a good book or a good wrestler uh, will know which one of the other wrestlers is at fault or, or like for what reasons does, let's say, a match fall apart or why it doesn't get heat or whatever. And I think that, let's say, if, if Triple H was watching, he could look back you know, or, or just like reminisce in that moment on what he just saw and just send a command of the headset and just say that, that, uh, just make sure the people, um, understand this is not going to be a rematch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, well, that's saying something. Um, I guess we'll have to see in the future, you know, what goes on. Does she kind of leave uh tv or or whatnot or the network or whatever it would be live uh, recordings uh for a while or um or what do they try to rebuild something there was or what what goes on but um but yeah really interesting like uh i don't want to see the match but it's uh one of those things where um you wish that it would have been better because you want that you want that product to, to be always good. And when you have your, uh, your women's title and they're pushing the, the women's division hard because there's so many talented women out there that, Mm -hmm. you know, are buying for those jobs like Tessa Blanchard and, you know, and that are, that she's, I think getting the respect that she deserves, uh, outside of that company and, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, a bunch of other ones as well. And so it's when you have this kind of title going up and, and uh, from what I uh, from what I saw in the in some of the highlights, uh, they weren't very high of the light variety. It was quite sloppy and uh, a lot of missed cues. And maybe they had an off night, but like you said, I don't think that uh, that there's been much of a, a good match happening uh, in the past. So odd that I mean, maybe they give her a shot. She didn't. Uh, she choked or whatever it was. And let's see what happens next. But, um, but I'll tell you what, even her offensive moveset, um, there's nothing dazzling about her. You know what I mean? The thing is, yeah. it's like they, they tried to find an angle for her, like just before this NXT takeover where they built her up through vignettes and like, that she's from the ghetto or that she's from like the bad part of town or whatever, right. uh, from the streets and, and like the street cred part of it. And, and just to give her an edge, but because the thing is that like execution wise, maneuver wise, whatever move set wise, she is not on the level of so many other girls and it, she's not interesting to watch. That's the whole thing is yeah. there's nothing about her, like about her output or like, how could you say like what, what she produces, which mm-hmm. captivates me. And I think that yeah. the same, uh, if you listen to the audience, I think that's the thing you gotta, it's, it's a lot of times, you know, the, if the audience is alive, if, if they're, if they're buying it, there's going to be heat. And in this match, yeah. it was flat as a squish banana. Yeah. I heard as well that, that a lot of people said, you know, a few people who defended the match saying, well, if this was on raw or SmackDown, you would have loved it. Uh, and, uh, the big, not reason, true. Yeah. Not well, true. Uh, you know, the big reason why it flopped was because the crowd uh, abandoned it, you know? So, if, yeah, you know, I know crowd reaction is pretty important, um, especially uh, you know you, you have the the best match ever, and uh, the crowd just like doesn't care because they want to see the the main event with the the big stars, and they're gone getting popcorn or whatever, and they're they maybe they're not the actual wrestling fans, but 
Yeah. But in this situation, this is the actual wrestling fans. You know, in NXT, you're generally getting your your uh, fans of the actual wrestling craft, not just your sports entertainment. Want to see some explosions and and uh, you know this kind of stuff going on. But uh, so there, they if they abandoned that match pretty early on and uh, didn't let them, uh, I, I I must be a weird feeling to be in there and just to not get any kind of crowd support. You know, we've yeah. probably, I've been on stage where the crowd doesn't react to anything. You finish the song and it's just silence. Boy, yeah. does it ever, boy, does it ever like make you feel like the, it's either, you know, playing on stage is the best feeling ever in the world or it's the worst when people don't react and, uh, and you're just kind of like there and you got to pull some kind of energy from somewhere and it's it's pretty difficult so you know i can empathize with with the crowd just not getting on you but uh, then again it seems like too many too many of the same i guess results going on that it's probably not the crowd's fault for having this match kind of flop no this had nothing to do with the crowd i'll tell you just watch it honestly watch this match back and and just see it for yourself. Make your own judgment call and your own analysis of what you see. And uh, anyway, so that that was that's that. Uh, yeah. Moving on to the main event. The, the main event of the show. It was two out of three falls. Adam Cole and Johnny Gargano for the NXT Championship. So the gimmick here was the first fall would be uh, straight straight up wrestling, and uh, so no gimmicks, no no funny stuff. And uh, second fall then would be. A street fight, no DQ. Um, I guess pinfalls count anywhere, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but street fight style. Anyway, and the third fall then would be a cage match. Uh, so they right. did this back in the day with Stone Cold and uh, Triple H. I forget the year. I think it was 2001, 2002, on one of the pay-per-views, and they did this, the three stages of hell kind of thing. But uh, right. now this wasn't quite three stages of hell because this was the first, uh, well, the first fall being a straight-up wrestling match. But uh, anyway, so the, the gimmick here was that that uh, basically Adam Cole got Johnny Gargano to lose his cool and he introduced the chair into the match late in the first fall. And then Johnny took the chair anyway, once he got it away from Adam Cole. And even though the referee reprimanded and, and warned him that, uh, hey, uh, if you use the chair, I'm going to have to DQ you. He did it anyway. And at yeah. that point, referee calls for the bell, bing, ding, ding, ding. And first fall by disqualification, the winner, Adam Cole. Then all of a sudden, the second fall is no DQ and it's, it's street fight. So therefore, you can do anything. Well, then they start just, you know, continuing where they left off. Bang, bang, bang with the chair. A uh, bunch of other stuff until finally, then Johnny Gargano gets the second fall victory. And uh, it was with the, with his uh, Gargano, what is it? What do they call it? The clutch? No. Uh, Gargano the, escape. Gar Gargano escape. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like a cross face type of thing. And uh, after do doing the lawn dart move to Adam Cole in the corner, a few little bit sloppy spots in this match because the thing is that, uh, first of all, too much telegraphing in that wrestling portion. First of all, it's like the guys are waiting for the next sequence. You know what I mean? It's like you're yeah. waiting for the next move. 
and and it's too obvious that don't have this collusion coming off where it's like everything is move for move just mapped out don't do it um and and here they had set up a chair between the second and the top rope uh right for the finish of the second fall and for that lawn dart move what they were trying to do was get uh adam cole to to you know smack his head or like for for um for Johnny Gargano to, to, to actually lawn dart Adam Cole's head into that, into the steel chair in the corner. Yeah. And, and then therefore go into the pinfall after that. Well, they missed the chair because he lawn darted the guy right into the bottom turnbuckle. Uh huh. So either he lost his, his footing where he basically, well, for be- lack of a better term, like tripped or then he misgaged it, mistimed it where he just didn't, get the the distance that he was looking for or whatever it was but anyway he missed them and the chair fell out of that corner out of the between the second and the top right after the move uh and then they went into the finish anyway the crowd still bought it so i mean like anything can happen in a fight because if it's a fight you know what i mean it's like not everything's gonna hit uh, like as intended but yeah they they had a few of these spots and they had this one other spot too where it was this tornado DDT out of the corner. So Gargano gives it to uh, Adam Cole. And there's two there's two chairs stacked up, like, like with their spines facing, uh, was it one another? Or was it just a way? No, sorry. No, they were, fa- the chairs were facing one another. So the seats were like yeah, um, right. front end to front end. But with the tornado, so he's supposed to give them the DDT uh, onto the, the seat portion of the chairs. Well, he misses because there's some mistiming there, and he drives Adam Cole's head directly into the uh, into the backrest. Hey, yeah. So the as the chairs are propped up, so this is like the vertical part of the chair drives him right into the into the backrest, the rim, the the metal tubing rim of the metal chair, and there's like no give there. It's like you know, then you're just going to fall to the side kind of thing, and the referee immediately after that goes and checks on adam cole and he's like asking him you know like hey are you okay are you okay and i guess he got the green light he wasn't badly yeah. hurt but still you know it's nasty um, yeah and and it's like that was unintentional you, you you just knew that's not what they were going for yeah so uh a little bit of like let's say too much premeditation and too a little bit sloppy and spark in in parts then again they were going long but by the same token still you would expect uh, or you wouldn't expect it from these two guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, but I mean, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I've seen, I guess all that kind of stuff, you know, gets dangerous, you know, as, as much as they've probably done it a million times or, or whatever you want to say, or you've seen, you know, Kevin Steen, Kevin Owens and these El Generico, Sami Zayn, whatever, stack up loads of chairs and take these yeah. kind of things. And, uh, Man, can it always go wrong, I guess, you know, when you're hitting metal, it doesn't matter, like, if it's aluminum or steel or whatever, you can get cut, you can get knocked out, all kinds of stuff, so, uh, it is tough, you gotta be really on your game, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, but that, uh, the last fall, um, with, uh, this, I guess it was a secret, uh, match or whatever, the Steven Regal had some like a secret stipulation that wasn't going to be revealed. And, well, William. yeah, sorry. <laughs> WWE's <laughs> version of, of, of Lord Regal is William. That's in a, WCW, yeah. he was Steve. 
Yeah, he's always be Stephen to me. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But anyway, but you know. Uh, anyway, Will Will Regal he uh, said about some secret stipulation if they get to this uh, third fall and yeah, it happens to be this like cage of death or whatever you want to call it with the weapons hanging from it, which uh, maybe that prompted me to think about WCW because uh, this is I don't know why it kind of slightly sounded a bit weird for nxt this all of a sudden there's a cage and i don't know how how did they put the cage up there super quick i guess and and then there's weapons hanging from the from the cage or whatever sounded also very you know wcw uh wwe with all these like super gimmicks which i don't think nxt really needs and i think it to me yeah, you got your big ladder matches and, and these kind of things, cage match, sure. But it always felt like a little bit old school in terms of stipulations. Uh, and then now all of a sudden you got your Singapore canes or kendo sticks and garbage cans. I don't know if there's garbage cans in there, but anyway, weapons hanging yeah. from this cage. And I don't know why that it felt like that's a little bit overkill for me. But uh, how did it, it, it? It was. It was honestly. It was. It was very much overkill. And the thing is that this weapons thing has been done to death in WWE, uh, also all around the wrestling world. Just way too many bells and whistles. And whatever happened to just finishing a match nice and clean and, and just, you know, having a, uh, let's say, for lack of a better term, a digestible story. Yeah. So like something that's easy to digest, that you can understand. Anybody can understand. Don't make it convoluted. Don't make it overtly uh, difficult for people. Um, and, and don't make, and don't prostitute it. Don't make it bullshit. Like if you hit a guy in the head with a, with a sledgehammer, I mean, the guy should have a cracked skull, he should yep. have a concussion or, or a cracked skull. He should not be getting up after a sledgehammer shot. Now, now, first of all, mm-hmm. what in the world is a sledgehammer doing a wrestling match? And there was one in this match too, at the top of the cage, uh. which they did introduce. Second of all, um, why would a referee, uh, ever allow such a thing to be used? Like, I mean, even let's yeah. say in a no holds barred uh, environment, if you're thinking that like if, out on the street, you hit somebody in the head with a sledgehammer, you, they're dead. Yeah. So therefore, even with a referee in a no holds barred uh, thing, if, if you want to you know, keep it real, you don't let the guy use that. That's like that. Yeah. That is already overkill because the thing is that yeah. you can't get you can't get away with explaining that to people. No, I, I never got uh, the sledgehammer idea because well, first of all, to me it's quite lame because uh, you're not going to hit somebody with a sledgehammer, and yeah. when you do, you put your hand over the end of it and hit them in the gut or whatever, and it yeah. always just looks stupid in my opinion. So if you yeah. really if you hate the guy that much and you brought a sledgehammer to the party. And you want to fucking kill him? Pardon my French, but uh, and then you put your hand over the end of the sledgehammer. I don't know. It just to me, it's it's a it's not a uh, it shouldn't should never <laughs> even a baseball bat is uh, is quite on the on the edge. You know, I, oh, I get it. It's you know, it's garbage. No, 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 it's yeah. garbage. It's it's like you know. At the end of the day, I think that what they need to do is get away from all the tables and the chairs and all this other stuff. You want to save it for one pay-per-view a year. That's fine. Uh, but do not like have this thing play itself out to the umpteenth dreadful degree that it is like now it's like the chair. 
just get rid of the chairs. You can't hit the guy in the head no more. All you're going to do is hit a guy in the back. Just get rid of the chairs because it's been seen to death. Nobody gets beat with a chair shot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's of nil consequence. Bringing a chair into the match is of nil consequence. There's no ramifications to it. So get rid of it. Anyway, so the the end of this match, the the final finish of the third fall. So now we're like 1-1. So first fall... Uh, Gargano loses by DQ, and then second fall, Gargano wins with a pin or with a submission out of the Gargano clutch. Now third fall, they're up on the top of the cage. From somewhere, Johnny Gargano's got a pair of pliers and or, or bolt cutters, whatever they were, and and he cuts a piece of this barbed wire that's been that's hanging on the top of the cage. It's kind of like a penitentiary style kind of cage where they have the loops of barbed wire at the top. Right. Cuts off a cuts off a piece of the barbed wire. They're standing on the top level of the cage, and then uh, Gargano's going to try to use this this string of barbed wire and and uh, I guess lacerate uh, Adam Cole. Well, the right. thing is, that I'm not quite sure that they can still show blood in WWE. So anyway, so Adam Cole is 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 holding off. He's he's stopping Gargano from doing it by you know putting his arms up, and they they have this struggle at the top. Kind of like a collar elbow kind of thing, in a way, yeah. uh, with a bar- barbed wire in between. And then all of a sudden, they're twisting, they're turning, and they're torquing. And then both guys, in the midst of the struggle, as they twist to the side, fall off the top of the cage through some tables. And then Adam Cole just drapes his hand over Johnny Gargano. Yeah. One, two, three. He gets the pin. That's the finish of yeah. the match. Huge bump off the top rope through some tables. Uh, I'm not sure where they go with Johnny Gargano after this. I, I mean, it's like, you know, I think this story's been told now. Um, yeah. Not quite sure what they do. Not quite sure who's going to be next for for um, Adam Cole for that championship. But nonetheless, I think it's time to move on uh, from this. Yeah. Um, and... In a way, after seeing this match and after seeing the last two matches these guys have had on pay-per-view, I'm not hungry to see a th- like a fourth. I'm not. I, I I've seen like I, this match already felt redundant. Like because the thing yeah. is, I was seeing stuff that I'd already seen them do before, and there was nothing inherently intriguingly new. Like in other words, it didn't build like chapter upon chapter. It didn't. There wasn't a sense of a progression in the story. It was, there was a sense of repeating itself. That's, that's the problem. And, and that's where I think they got to put the nail in the coffin with this one and move on to the next, whatever it is for both guys. Yeah. But overall thumbs in the middle. And I think for this pay-per-view, maybe just a bit of a thumbs down. Oh yeah. Well, I guess uh, when you're, especially when you have the NXT, uh, takeover standard, to to go by uh i mean that's a hard one to live up to but they have been doing it so it's too bad it's like uh you know that it's kind of in that in that area but um i guess uh, hopefully they can pick up the pieces and have the next takeover be a, a nice blow away one as well uh go going back to their standard but um but anyway, uh, we're going to take a break now and do some sponsorship lovely words. And then when we get back, we'll talk about some other stuff going on in the wrestling world as well. AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling's G1 
climax, getting to the climax. So uh, stick around. We'll be right back. Skip is the oldest sports supplement brand out of Europe since the 1970s. Engineered by professors, doctors, and scientists at Sweden's leading medical university, Karolinska Institute, Skip products are pharmaceutical grade, meaning that they are the highest quality available on the market today. Meaning they work. If you're after results, you wouldn't put low-octane gas in a turbocharged high-end sports car engine, would you? Neither would you put junk-quality supplements into your body as an athlete. All Skip products are first tested amongst top athletes to ensure their efficiency. Choose the best. Skip Nutrition. That's skip.fi. S-K-I-P dot F-I. Estrada Creative Helsinki. Your brand and story with the strength of modern marketing. Social media gets your brand and message in your audience's hands, and your story with the boost of marketing and videography is your strongest means of persuasion. That's where Estrada Creative Helsinki gets involved. Check them out on Facebook at facebook.com slash Estrada Creative Helsinki. Marco Simonen offers photography and video production for business and marketing. In addition, editorial and portrait work welcome. For more, see marcosimonen.com. That's M-A-R-K-O-S-I-M-O-N-E-N.com. All right, and we're back on Shooting the Shiz At. I'm here at the Flow Festival in Helsinki. The Cure playing in the background, providing the soundtrack. We just talked, did the recap of NXT Toronto. Wasn't the best show ever. No. Uh, we got so much wrestling this weekend. What do we got? What do we got left? We got the G1, and then what's coming up next? Well, tonight is SummerSlam, like literally That's tonight. Right, yeah. yeah, it's uh, anyway, it'll be in the middle of the night here in Finland, but um, yeah, I, I guess I'll catch it tomorrow morning. So let's see what, the, what happens with that. But first, the new Japan news I guess we finally got the A block and the, and the B block winners for the G1 climax this year. You want to? That's right. Let the people in on what's happening there. Yeah, well, I mean, it was quite the tournament. Uh, um, like loads of uh, really, really high caliber matches. Uh, a lot of guys really shined there. Um, John Moxley, for example, he won that Japanese crowd over really, really well. And um, the one guy who had a who's having a really hard time with the Japanese crowd during the tournament was Kenta if you can believe it or not. Really? Uh, for some reason, the New Japan fans, they are like sticking their nose up at the guy. So, um, and apparently it's pretty, you know, pretty vicious. Uh, a lot of the uh, comments or whatever from New Japan fans from Japan are, you know, like stay out of our company and go back to where you came from. And, you know, this kind of pretty brutal stuff. I mean, he's... He's um, wrestled relatively well. I mean, he didn't have like, you know, the standout matches of the tournament, but it was he wasn't stinking it up. Um, but people were not. Uh, I don't know what's what's the deal there, but they're not. They didn't. He didn't win anybody over. That's for sure. And it's too bad because the guy's uh, very talented. That's for sure. But um, 
but what comes down to was pretty actually the a block was you know quite simple kazuchko caught a won that one and uh he ended up going almost undefeated and the the or no so what did i say kazuchko kind of didn't oh, win but it was uh kota ibushi <laughs> but yeah, it was uh looking like it was going to be kazuchko kata and because uh, he was just mowing through everybody and uh there was just talk the whole time about how it's going to be the first time i guess since they uh instated certain rule of um uh, <clears throat> this kind of briefcase situation but where the guy gets the uh, the main event at uh, Wrestle Kingdom or, or whatnot. And uh, anyway, that it would be the first time that the actual IWGP champion would win, and then he would get to pick his own opponent. And there was all this talk about since uh, since Wrestle Kingdom is two nights, that Okada's going to pick two opponents and do a main event, you know, back-to-back and whatever. They were really talking it up that he is for sure going to win it and then Right at the end, uh, Ibushi comes out and steals steals the win. Uh, rather like rather amazing match between those two guys. Uh, great storytelling and all that. That's a definite must see if you're going to watch any of those G1 matches. And then uh, for the B block, it actually looked a lot like uh, John Moxley was going to take it. And uh, and right at the end, that last night of the B block. Uh, I guess it wrapped up today, actually, technically. Yep. And uh, there was about four guys in contention of John Moxley, Naito, Switchblade, Jay White, and Goto. And there was all kinds of really complicated scenarios to have each guy kind of win. Who lost? Did they do a time limit draw here? And blah, blah, blah. And that, that made it pretty exciting. So in the end of the day, Juice Robinson beat... Uh, John Moxley, which apparently was good, really good, solid match. Uh, actually, Shingo Takagi, who was already eliminated from the tournament, beat Goto, which was also a very strong match. Uh-huh. And then Switchblade Jay White ends up beating Naito. And I, I didn't see that match yet because it was fresh on today, but I guarantee there's going to be shenanigans happening there because they were talking about how both of these guys are the like cerebral ass- assassins of. Uh, of New Japan. A lot of people compare Jay White right now to like a younger Triple H when uh, he was this, you know, cerebral assassin. Maybe not the best uh, in-ring wrestler, but uh, getting under people's skin really hard. And he definitely got under the New Japan people's skin because uh, I guess nobody in the world is happy about that. People are pretty pissed and, you know, everybody wanted Naito to win. But I guess... I mean, you tell you tell the world like, is that a good booking maneuver to uh, to have Jay White win and everybody just absolutely hate it? Well, the thing is that now you've got heat going into that actual A versus B block final. I mean, that's that's what's going to crown the, uh, the at the end of the day, right? That's going to be the the G one champ, yeah, or the winner, and and that's that's really where you know you get that that major heat happening. And I think that's where the people are going to want to come out and see that it's going to sell tickets because they don't want to see Jay White take this thing. No, that's that's the thing, I guess. They are like desperate to catch their Bushi yeah. to win. Yeah. So, well, and I guess it was a little bit too obvious that it would be Naito and, and Ibushi because they've had some blowout matches like, you know, tearing the roof off every time. So 
I guess when you sometimes it's a really good idea to not give the people what they want. That's it. But I guess you you got to know when that time is. That's right. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, it's always funny to me that New Japan throws some some of their biggest shows on like a Monday, and this will be the finals. I guess tomorrow night. Um, or no, I guess it's it's only a Monday because it's <laughs> maybe it's a Sunday. I guess in Japan, but uh, or I can't remember. But anyway, it's at least on not one of these like prime days that you would think, but they always sell really well and and all that. But uh, I'm sure it's going to be a good match. I wonder uh, how it's going to be in contention to some of these. You know, they often say that that G1 uh, finale is like that main event is the best match of the year almost. So let's uh, let's see if Jay White can do it, because I think he's got a lot of naysayers around that don't think that he's ready for this kind of push that New Japan's giving him. But, but you know, uh, I hope that I hope that he can pull it out and and uh, and have a good showing there. So let's let's see. Well, but, it's, uh, it's, it's, yeah. it's a do or die situation. I mean, when you're given that big push and that hot spotlight, man, I'll tell you what, you can't afford to come up flush. Yeah, that's really true. And I mean, they already gave him the belt. Uh, I mean, everybody hated that. But, you know, it was pretty obvious they had uh, uh, Gato with, you know, basically cheating for him all the time. So yeah. I guess it got people really you know, they just hate this guy. And I, I think it's it's actually, like, nobody's indifferent to him. Uh, well, I've heard a lot of people say he's quite boring. But I think, you know, it's, uh, he has, a, especially in Japan, people, like, hate him. So I think, uh, as far as I can tell, anyway, with the crowd reaction, just absolute hate coming there. So I think that that's, that's the goal. And, uh, you know, there's a... Uh, it's really hard to hate somebody who wins clean all the time, you know? Yeah. Uh, where it's kind of like, you know, it's just, they're just that damn good. So it's, it's hard to make a heel out of that kind of guy. But, uh, but anyway, uh, new Japan's always having really great wrestling. That's for sure. And I think this G one, it's a, uh, one of those exhausting tournaments to watch as well as I'm sure to be involved in. But, uh, but it's coming to a close, and uh, we have soon coming AEW's All Out, and they are announcing this women's uh, casino battle royale, and the winner gets uh, a title shot for this, uh, I guess, this um, new women's championship belt wow. that's uh, they're going to be debuting on their on their TV show. So, like, who is that woman that wins the, the battle royal? Who's she going to be facing, though? I'm not actually sure yet, um, but uh, <clears throat> I got to do a little bit more research into that if it's already been announced or not. But uh, at least it looks uh, as though, well, we have Ivalice is now in that Casino Royale, Battle Royale. We have, I think, Sadie Gibbs is going to be in there. Um, and uh, who else? Uh, Jazz. You know, former WWE Women's Champion, I believe. Yeah, yeah, and Roddy Piper's daughter. That's right. Yeah, a Teal Piper, yeah, and right. uh, she did a she did a pretty good promo talking about how uh, she's just recently got into the wrestling business because she's wanted to do it forever. But her dad, um, since he was one of these heels that was hated and uh, had attempted murder all over him constantly. 
he basically hid his family away from the wrestling business. And um, she's, you know, getting into it similar, similarly to Brian Pillman Jr., where, you know, feels like it's the right thing to do and it's in his blood and it, and it actually gets him closer to his dad. And she said basically the same thing, that it, it helps her to keep her dad still alive inside, you know, inside her heart. So pretty wow. sweet words, really good promo. And, uh, you know, I, I can sense the, the fire in her, but I just hope that uh, she, she's not too green going into that because I think she's only been in the business for, you know, a year or two. But, uh, but let's see. Maybe she'll do something good in that battle royal. I guess it's a good way to start to introduce somebody. Well, in addition to that, once again, uh, this weekend, I mean, tonight, literally tonight, SummerSlam 2019, one of the big four shows of the year for WWE and uh, Universal Championship match, Brock Lesnar versus Seth Rollins. That's for the big one. Um, yep. Well, Seth Rollins is, has gone on record in his promos to promise the people that he is taking back that championship. He's promised. And when a baby, when a baby face promises, more often than not, they make good. And uh, I'm really thinking that is it time to give it back to Seth Rollins now? I, I kind of yeah. doubt that it's going to happen. But still, that promise makes you kind of think. It makes you wonder. Um, yeah. Yeah, anyway, Raw Women's Championship match, Becky Lynch, champion against Natalia. So we're talking about Natty Neidhart. Uh, yeah. Canada's own girl. That's true. She's good. I think when, uh, like, uh, I, I would say she's uh, quite a good women's wrestler, but there, there has been some times, I don't know if it's just the, the pairing or something like that, but, uh, she doesn't pull it out. So, but then there's been times where I've seen her really, you know, deliver something special. So yeah, hopefully she can do it. She can do it tonight. Well, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. We'll, we'll be reporting on the, the SummerSlam wrap-up and our review of the show then next week on Shooting the Shizat. And by the way, folks, subscribe to our channel and wherever you listen to it, be it Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, whatever have you. Just uh, subscribe. It doesn't cost you anything. And it helps us a whole bunch. So we thank you for the support. But getting back to this SummerSlam card, Kofi Kingston, WWE champion, uh, versus Randy Orton. Now, the story here is that Randy held back Kofi back in the day, let's say about 10 years ago, and that Kofi just wasn't good enough yet, just wasn't ready, and that Randy had stroke in the company, and that he held him back. Now, whether or not that's true, it's a good story because I think that it uh, it makes for a believable angle. Yeah, definitely. So, I don't know if there's going to be heat, Going into this match, it's somehow I don't know if uh, if the case is strong enough yet for for like legitimate heat, uh, but, but time will tell. Tonight, you know, tonight we're going to make good on it. Then yeah. Trish Stratus, uh, once again Canada's own girl, uh, yeah. back out of retirement. She said that this is her last match. By the way, this is her retirement match now against Charlotte Flair. Um, when. Somebody says it's their retirement. I only see it going one way. Yeah, that's true. So uh, I think Charlotte Flair once again coming out on top, and they do all the hugs and you know the tearful goodbyes and all that whatnot afterwards. 
I'm not quite yep. sure what Charlotte's piece of business is right now. I'm not sure if she's like a face or a heel, but anyway, um, yeah, this this will I think will be a turning point for Charlotte too in this match, kind of like what in in uh, Impact Wrestling when um, Gail Kim fought Tessa Blanchard. That's the right. match turned Tessa face. So I think something along the same lines is going to happen here. It's just my my gut feeling. Yeah. Well, let's see, I guess. Uh, I wonder, though, uh, with Trish Stratus, I mean, like, uh, she was great back in the day. Can she still go, I mean, with a singles match? You know, she's been in the uh, the tags and all that kind of, like, you know, legendary status idea. But uh, it'll be an interesting match See, to see how that goes, I guess. Hopefully it just doesn't stink. That's all I can hope Yeah. For. Now that's the whole thing. I, I, I hope she's up to par. And it's a, this is a, it's like SummerSlam. That's a big time uh, stage. I mean, let, let, let's face it. I mean, you yeah. afford, you cannot afford to flush at SummerSlam, especially if it's your uh, your go away match. That's it. Yeah. Anyway, SmackDown Women's Championship, Bailey champion against Ember Moon. Now Ember. Oh, yeah in the background for quite a while. She hasn't really been featured, um, nor has she really been pushed. I guess now she's getting a bit of a push. So it's basically face versus face. Let's see what happens. Um, I think Ember, when she's on, if she's let loose to do what she can do, I think it should be pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've been really impressed with her um before but then again it's it's the same scenario that i think all of these um wrestlers can perform at such a high level but you know it's uh some sometimes they are they're choking you know or that uh the pairing is not right or the chemistry is not there or whatever it is and but then again like i said earlier in the podcast that when you're at that level where you're in the major leagues, as they as they themselves say, you know, it's one of those things where I don't think you shouldn't be able to afford to be to have somebody there that that can choke. And uh, this is a pretty big stage, like you said. So you'd hope that they'd uh, leave it all on you leave it all in the ring. You know, that's it. Kevin Owens versus Shane McMahon. If Owen loses, he will quit WWE. You know, that's not going to happen. So <laughs> yeah, I yeah. see. Uh, they might do a swerve here, but still, I mean, Kevin Owens, he ain't going nowhere. Um, no. Yeah, I, and now Kevin Owens is, I guess, unofficially the new Stone Cold. He's been right. he's been given the stunner, and uh, he's doing the stunner, and I think that's the way this match is going to go. He's going to get, you know, Shane's going to get stunned. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Goldberg back out of retirement. Oh he, dear. Yeah, uh, Goldberg versus Dolph Ziggler. This is only going one way. And you know yeah. that already going in. There's no surprise element here. Um, nice, short, and sweet. And uh, yep. Ziggler gets to do the honors. Uh, <laughs> I guess still, like, for somebody who can bump and somebody who can sell, I mean, that's that's the guy you want to put in there with Goldberg to get him yeah, it's true. polished and shined up after that catastrophe of a match in Saudi Arabia. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's it. <clears throat> you got to You got to try to give him, like, a, you know... Old school WCW Goldberg squash, and then uh, 
try to hope people forget about him knocking himself unconscious and just nearly killing the undertaker and himself. So yeah, but, well, uh, let's I'm, see. I'm sure, I'm sure Goldberg's going to be utilized now under the Paul Heyman banner of Monday night raw. I th- I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely certain that we're going to get like this special treatment of Goldberg, which is going to be very similar to the booking of Brock Lesnar too. So I think that's where it's headed down the line. Right. Once again, another match with those two. But uh, that said, uh, United States Championship match, AJ Styles, the champion against Ricochet. And uh, maybe they'll do one better than last time. It wasn't bad last time. There was something just a bit off or maybe maybe just something was missing. Maybe they'll get it right this time at SummerSlam. I don't know. But uh, it should be good. It was good last time. It should be no worse than last time. Yeah. I mean, both the guys are of such high caliber, even uh, AJ Styles being... Having that, like, uh, one of the original hyper-athletes, uh, you know, starting that kind of trend. And uh, to perf- to perform that kind of style or, you know, to wrestle that way for such a long time, it's got to be tough on you. I mean, um, you know, even guys who don't do these flips and, and big bumps and, and that kind of that kind of things are, <clears throat> you know, their bodies are showing worse for wear. Yeah. Uh, when they get into their forties and, um, you know, even being a referee, it's, uh, your knees jumping down to make the pins and, you know, I'm getting up there too. So, uh, just that kind of stuff. So I, I can imagine, uh, try to imagine anyway, taking that kind of stuff and still being able to uh, wrestle at that level is, it's pretty, pretty impressive that styles has been able to do it. Uh, I guess he's been able to adapt or whatnot. And then, uh, you know, and Ricochet is just a, a talent talent unto himself. So uh, it's a good pairing, and I, I hope that it's uh, it just gets better. Then we got Finn Balor versus The Fiend, Bray Wyatt. Uh, right. These guys were just in a feud before Bray was turned babyface and put in that tag team with Matt Hardy. Uh, a couple, was it a year and a half, a year ago, whatever it was? Uh, but anyway, um, when Bray turned face for a bit there, that was his last like heel feud when he was a heel. It was against Finn Balor, if I remember correctly. Now they're bringing it back one and a half years later, say. It wasn't all that great the first time around, but you know what I think they're building towards here with this one is that now that Bray Wyatt's got that demon mask, you know, now that they've re-characterized yeah. him as the Fiend, I think that they're going to have Finn Balor lose this one, and then down the line they're going to do the Demon King, Finn Balor right. versus the Fiend Bray Wyatt. So that's what I think it's building towards. My guess, my wild guess, right there. Then one more match: WWE Cruiserweight Championship, Drew Gulak, the champion, against Oni Lorcan. This should be damn good. Yeah, yeah, those guys are good. Uh, I mean, I would be actually surprised if it's not less if it's less than good. That's for sure. I actually should be great because the thing is Drew Gulak is damn awesome. I mean, like his yep. map work and his just like ground skills are second to none. And Oni Lorcan is really damn good at uh, just the basic meat and potatoes, kind of like just knock a tooth out of your mouth kind of wrestling. So, yeah, that's true. So I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be good. And by the time tomorrow morning rolls around, I'll be, uh, I'll be privy to, how SummerSlam actually looked. And as I said, next week, 
We will recap SummerSlam 2019 here on Shoot the Shizat. So therefore, you gotta you gotta follow us, ladies and gentlemen. If you haven't subscribed yet, uh, if you're on iTunes or if you're on Spotify or, or where the Podbean Network, wherever you might be, SoundCloud, just I mean, honestly, it doesn't cost you a dime. Just follow us and do us a favor, and uh, and we really appreciate your support. And uh, one more thing before we close shop this week. Today is the 66th birthday of the Hulkster, brother. Is it? Whoa. Happy birthday, Hulk Hogan. That's right. One of the most there you iconic, go. One of the most iconic wrestlers ever, if not the most iconic wrestler in history for the time period and for the significance that uh, the impact that he had on pro wrestling. Uh, Hulk Hogan, everybody in the world knows Hulk Hogan. If you don't even know pro wrestling, you'll still know who Hulk Hogan is. That's true. So, so Hulk Hogan has transcended pro wrestling, much like Dwayne Johnson, the rock in modern days. Yeah. I mean, whenever, usually whenever I, you know, introduce pro wrestling to anybody in terms of like, you know, do you watch wrestling? And they'll say, what, what do you mean? And then I'll say, you know, like, uh, Hulk Hogan wrestling. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> there you go. This, this kind of, the, you know, they, that is like the name. That, that is like Kleenex, you know, the tissue paper. It's Hulk Hogan is wrestling uh, for a lot of people. He, whether or not you know it or not, it's, uh, you know, he was never my favorite. Uh, yeah. He's my, one of my, my brothers. It was his favorite for sure. Yeah. And, uh, but I couldn't deny that. That he was the, he was, he was wrestling for for a giant generation. Even to this day, people uh, have know that name just like you said. And uh, that's usually it's like amateur wrestling or Hulk Hogan wrestling. So well, I'll tell you what. Is, yeah, and, and and I gotta I have to do a pitch here for actually Stone Cold Steve Austin's podcast. If you haven't heard it yet. I really warmly recommend and strongly recommend that you go check out the Stone Cold podcast with Hulk Hogan. It's really fresh. It's uh, just, I think, two weeks old. And uh, Hogan goes through his career and the, and the, the build of his push. And um, he's very open with everything, including his injuries. He's got uh, arthritis nowadays, rheumatism. Um, oh, yeah. Both of his knees replaced, his hips, both, you know, the, the both sides of the hip replaced. Uh, the guy's a mess nowadays. He's got stem cells, you know, that, you know, they're, they're doing the stem cell uh, treatment. Oh, for wow. Him. Yeah. Yeah. He's a mess. So, uh, you know, you, you got to just have your, your hopes and your prayers with Hulk Hogan now as he turns the corner at 66, because uh, for what his impact was on the business, um, you don't want the guy to suffer. No, that's true. Yeah, that is very true. I mean, uh, I and it's crazy to think like uh, after you know you know how many injuries somebody like that took at that time, and then the style that these guys are pulling out of their asses now, and you wonder what they're going to be like at sixty-six years old. So, oh yeah, uh, that's uh, it's a <laughs> it's a weird wake-up call to to think about. You know, Hulk Hogan, a lot of people just think he's uh, big, like a punch, a big boot and a leg drop. And that's that gives you double hip surgery and knees, knee replacements and stem cells and 
you know, how many inches shorter is he now? And so, <clears throat> I mean, yeah, he definitely gave his body to the business, you know, so you got to respect him for that. That's for sure. That's right. But ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much once again this week for hanging in there with us on shooting the shiz at next week. We'll be back with you covering SummerSlam. So hang in there and we'll see you in about seven days time. Goodbye, everybody.